Welcome, friends, to this brand new edition of A Heart After God Bible Teaching Ministry with Pastor Brad Abley. We're delighted that you've joined us today, and we've already been praying for you, that you would meet the Lord in a fresh new way. We've also been praying that you would be changed and transformed into the image of Jesus by the power of His Word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, let's resume our Know Your Faith series as we go through the entire Gospel of Luke patiently, slowly, and verse by verse. Here's Pastor Brad. Well, very warm greetings to you, my friends. This is Pastor Brad Abley with the Heart After God Bible Teaching Ministry, a ministry that is designed to take you deeper into the Word of God. Thank you for listening to this broadcast today, and uh, I pray that you would Uh, benefit greatly from it, and that you would let others know about the broadcast as well. There's a reason why I call this the Know Your Faith series, and there's a reason why we're going through the Gospel of Luke slowly and verse by verse, and that is because the Gospels of Jesus, the four Gospels, describe everything that we know about him about his life, about his teaching, about his purpose for us. So the Gospels are the core of the faith of the Christian. The Gospels uh, use the Old Testament heavily. And so, so much of the Old Testament is taught by Jesus in the Gospels and by his disciples, the writers of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospels are written to different audiences. So, for example, um, it's good to remind us that Luke was written primarily to a Greek-speaking audience, that is, to Gentiles scattered throughout the Roman Empire. It may have been sent originally to believers in Ephesus in that area, but we're not positive about that. However, it is interesting that Luke is most likely a Gentile, and therefore he is the only Gentile writer of the entire Bible. Now, he wasn't one of the original 12 disciples. However, he was a very close associate of the Apostle Paul and traveled with Paul throughout Paul's second and third missionary journeys. And Luke was very highly respected in the early church. Matthew, of course, was one of Jesus' original 12 disciples. Mark was not an original 12 disciple, uh, one of the 12 disciples, but he also was a very close associate of the Apostle Peter and of the Apostle Paul as well having traveled with them on missionary journeys. And so the early church recognized that, and they immediately accepted Mark's gospel, which, by the way, was written primarily to the church in Rome, most of which was Gentile, although it included some Jewish believers in Jesus. Uh, I forgot to mention that Matthew was written primarily to Jews. And then lastly, John, John's gospel was written both 
to the Jews and <coughs> to Jewish believers and to Gentile believers in Jesus primarily. And John wrote it uh, probably from Ephesus, and he wrote it uh, several decades after Matthew, Mark, and Luke had already been written. John's gospel focuses on G- primarily on Jesus' um, ministry in Judea, and he focuses also on different areas that the the other gospels called the synoptic gospels because there's such a synthesis and a scene together of those gospels. John focuses on other areas of Jesus' life and ministry. I'm so glad that we have four gospels and not one. And we have, by the providence of the Holy Spirit, all the information about Jesus' life and teachings that God wants us to have this side of heaven. So there's a little bit of a a background and an overview of the Gospels and specifically Luke. And accordingly, that is why I'm titling this series, the Know Your Faith series. As we go through this, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit that you are coming to know your faith in a deeper way and that you appreciate your faith in a deeper way. But ultimately, it goes way beyond simply knowing and appreciating. And the the most important thing of all is that we live it out and that knowing our faith more deeply draws us closer to our wonderful triune God and helps us to explain uh, the gospel to other believers and to those that don't yet know Jesus. Amen. Well, before we get into our message today, would you please join me in prayer? I'm sorry. I I still have, I'm still fighting through uh, a cough. I'm at the end of a cold that I've had for now, I guess this is going on for three weeks and um, so if if I don't sound quite as up as I normally do, uh, I trust that you'll understand why. So now let's pray. Father, would you quicken me and strengthen me to teach and preach your word and to minister to those that are listening to this message? And Father, we ask now that you, uh, through our teacher, the Holy Spirit, would open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to be hungry and thirsty for you and for your word, and to receive it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. We pray that you would be glorified through the way that we respond to this message. We pray that you would save multitudes, and we pray that uh, multitudes of those called to pulpit ministry would be equipped through this ministry and that your kingdom would would advance and your church be deepened and strengthened. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, believing and expecting you to answer them. Amen and amen. Now, my friends, the wise, faithful Christian 
loves the entire Bible and all of Jesus' teaching, all of it, not just his teaching on love and grace. Those are teachings that are vital to us, no doubt, but they also make us feel comfortable. And and we're not persecuted. Believers are not persecuted for talking about Jesus' love and grace. Believers are persecuted and ostracized because we teach that there is salvation in Jesus alone and in no one else. There's forgiveness in Jesus alone and no one else. There, It is impossible to have eternal life, to live forever in heaven uh, outside of faith in Jesus Christ, period, end of story. That's the way it is, and that is exactly what Jesus taught. And people don't like to hear that. If you're in a different religion, then you're believing a lie. I'm sorry, I'm, I must be blunt. That's what Jesus says. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's what he said. I believe it. He's right. And no one else ever made the claims that Jesus uh, made. No one else was crucified on the cross in our place for our forgiveness and our redemption. No one else promised the resurrection of the body. No one else promised and described heaven like Jesus did. No one else did his miracles. No one else prophesied his own uh, crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection. Nobody. And all the miraculous fulfillment of scripture that comes in Jesus Christ, no other religion, no other God or goddess can touch it. And those all authenticate Jesus as the true Messiah of the world. And in him alone is the love of God and the mercy of God. But every human being must continually make a decision. Will I live for him or will I live for myself? Will I live for him and identify with him? Or will I live for some other faith and identify with that? You and I have to make a decision every single day. I've been following Jesus since 1981 with all my heart. And yet I still must make a decision every single day to pursue him. And nothing, my friend, nothing is more rewarding, even though following Jesus means that we are going to suffer, we are going to be afflicted, we are going to experience hardship and trials and tribulations. But when God is in that, he uses every bit of it for our own growth, for our own maturity, for our own ability to relate to others and to be tender-hearted and compassionate toward others. Those, you see, with a Christian, everything that we go through that we don't want to go through, God uses it for his purposes 
and for our depth in him. And everything that we go through, Jesus has already been through it. And when we go through hardship, he goes through it with us in the present. Let me just stop and say, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are faithful with us, that you are intimately acquainted with our ways, that when we suffer, you suffer. When we rejoice, you rejoice. And right now, we surrender our lives to you afresh, and we pray, come Holy Spirit and fill us afresh with courage and boldness and dependence upon you, always living to glorify the Father and the Son. And everyone said, amen and amen. Now, back to uh, the message, at least that I had prepared. I want to say this, that the foolish so-called follower of Jesus always wants to insist that Jesus is too loving, too kind to judge. Now, this man or woman acts like Jesus never said a thing about judgment, or if he did, then he only warned the religious leaders of his time of coming judgment. But listen, beloved, to insist on this is the depth of biblical ignorance. Worse, It's spiritual malpractice. And worse still, it's idolatry because it's a false gospel, a different Jesus. Anyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus but won't be faithful to his entire teaching is likely a false Christian living a false conversion. Now, Listen, if my statement convicts you of your grave error, then repent of your sin, humble yourself, ask God to forgive you of believing a lie and speaking a lie to others. But if it offends you, I'm glad because then you made my point. Your offense demonstrates that your heart is not right with God. I'm telling you the truth, and I'm speaking it firmly but in love. But you can humble yourself and come to know the real Jesus today. Now, that leads me to our passage in Luke 12, verses 49 through 59. This is part two of the message entitled, Jesus, the Judge of All People. Luke chapter 12 Verses 49 through 59, part two of Jesus, the judge of all people. And what we're going to find is that Jesus is speaking of his own coming wrath and judgment. So let's read Luke 12, verse 49, beginning in verse 49. I have come to cast fire upon the earth. Now, it's important to understand that Jesus gives a long list of reasons for his incarnation. That is, that process by which God the Son from all eternity became human as well without ceasing to be God the Son. And he did that 
ultimately so that he would shed his own blood in our place, receiving the wrath of God the Father upon himself so that we would not have to stand before him and give an account of our sins so that we could have an eternity with him in heaven and not spend an eternity in hell in conscious torment and separation eternally from God. And in hell, there is unspeakable torment in the presence of Satan and his demons and everyone else, multitudes and multitudes of people that hate God on this earth. It is not a place that you want to be. It's not a place that you want to go to. And so Jesus says, I have come to cast fire upon the earth. Fire here in context, uh, on the one hand, is, uh, is judgment. On the other hand, fire purifies. And so for those that receive him, his fire through the Holy Spirit purifies us from sin. But for those who reject him, it will be the fire of judgment. He says, and how I wish it were already kindled. Now, this doesn't sound like the kind of Jesus meek and mild who only wants to speak of love and grace and mercy. But instead, he says that one of the reasons that he came to this earth is to cast fire upon it. He is going to elaborate, explain a little bit more in just a moment. But what's shocking is he says, how I wish it were already kindled. What does he mean by this? Well, he'll explain in just a moment. Verse 50, but I have a baptism to undergo. This is an immersion of the reception of the wrath of God for you and for me. That's love. That's mercy. That's kindness. I have a baptism to undergo, a baptism of the wrath of God. And how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Oh, my friends, that word distressed can also be translated to be tormented. Now, if you've never read this verse, you are probably shocked. And why would Jesus be distressed or tormented? Because the entire sin, weight, and debt of every human being that has ever lived or ever will live is going to be placed on him, and he will be separated from the Father, although it probably was just momentary, but he will be separated from the Father for the first time in existence. Not in his deity, but in his humanity. He would experience separation because the Father cannot look on sin. And he turned his face away from Jesus and forsook Jesus on the cross. That's why Jesus cried out, with a loud voice and said, my God, my God, uh, why have you forsaken me? And yet he still prayed, even though he knew the father had turned his face away. 
Well, in verse 51, he says, do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? In part, he did. In fact, Luke tells us that in chapter, let's see, if I recall correctly, chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, and um, verse 14. This is uh, the angel appearing with a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. That phrase can mean um, of his good pleasure or of good pleasure. It's those with whom he is pleased, not with the unsaved, not with the wicked. He's not pleased with them. Rather, his wrath abides on them, as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1. And so in this case, Jesus did not come to grant peace, but rather division. Let me read verse 51 again. He says, do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no. The word no is emphatic in the Greek text, but rather division. What? Yes. Verse 52, for from now on, five members in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. Verse 53, they will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. This is shocking, especially in a very tight-knit Jewish society. But Jesus divides people. Why? Because people are full of pride. They are arrogant. They love their sin more than they love God. And when it comes to Jesus, every human being is confronted with a choice. Either you're going to surrender your life to him and love him and honor him and obey him, or you're going to hold on to your sin and then you will be repelled by Jesus' words, by his presence, by who he is. And then when the day of judgment comes, you will not be among those who will spend eternity in heaven with him. You will be among those who will spend an eternity in hell, and it will be your choice, not his. Because he is appealing to you in his grace, love, and mercy, and kindness, even at this very second. What will you do with the truth of who he is. Verse 54, and he was also saying to the crowds, and, and what he's about to say is you need to make a decision. Stop hesitating. He says, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say a shower is coming, and so it turns out. Verse 55, and when you see a wind blowing, a south wind blowing, you say, it's going to be a hot day today, and it turns out that way. Verse 56, you hypocrites, 
you know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not analyze this present time, which is far more important than, than weather? And why, verse 57, do you not even on your own initiative judge what is right? And what is right? To receive him as your Lord and Savior. He is the Messiah. Verse 58, he's using uh, probably a figure of speech that was common to them at the time. He says, verse 58, for while you are going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate, that is the judge, on your way there, make an effort to settle with him this is a, a government official, that is, I'm sorry, so that he may not drag you before the judge and the judge turn you over to the officer and the officer throw you into prison. I say to you, you will not get out of there until you have paid the very last cent. And probably what he means by that, and the people understood, because they weren't wealthy people of you went to prison, that meant you were never going to get out because you could never pay enough to buy your own freedom. That's the point of what Jesus is saying here. Listen, my friends, this wrath is always preceded by his truthful, gracious warning. He is trying to get people to repent of their sins, to listen to him, believe in him as their Lord and Savior, receive his forgiveness, and be free of his coming wrath. But who will listen? That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 16, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him and whom they have not heard. And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Paul quoting Isaiah. However, verse 16, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith, that is faith in Jesus, comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Romans 10, 17. There it is. There it is. People can hear the truth and decide differently for themselves, make up their own truths, mixed up with partial truths, and come out with a different gospel. And then they think that they are approved by God when nothing of the sort is true. They comfort themselves with a lie. I hear it and see it every single day, even in and among so-called Christians. But I'm telling you, my friends, the truth, they will be judged by him. If they don't repent, they are going to receive his wrath. What is the wrath of God? Why would a loving, kind, merciful, 
and forgiving God bring wrath upon people. His wrath arises gradually and is always guided by reason. First, judgment and wrath is never God's default. It's never his present preference. And this, this is the emphatic declaration throughout his word in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all might come to repentance. Romans 2, verse 4, and 2 Peter 3, verse 9, Ezekiel 18 and, and Ezekiel 33 both emphasize God's utter reluctance to judge, and judgment is only his last resort. Well, there's so much more to say about this, my friends. I am shocked at how fast the time has gone, but I see that I'm running out. Repent and give your life to Jesus Christ. And if you've already given your life to Jesus, love his word. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Brad, for this outstanding message and time of ministry. Friends, Pastor Brad and his wife Maureen need a prayer team. Would you kindly consider praying for them on a daily basis? Thank you for your partnership. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please tell others about it. If you would like to partner with him financially, please go to his website at bradabley.com. You can also check out his two devotionals and his commentaries on amazon.com. Until next time, we pray that our Lord stir you daily to have a greater heart after him in every way.